All right, so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2 today. And I know it's Christmas time. Uh, this may be one of the most difficult uh, in-your-face Christmas sermons you've ever heard. I didn't write it that way, but that's the way it came out. So uh, if you have seatbelts, you might want to buckle them uh, tightly. Uh, if you're easily offended, you might need to get somebody else's seatbelt because we're going to cover a lot of things today. Uh, that might bother you just a little bit. But I've told you before, growing up in a small town, we didn't have much to do. Uh, in the 70s, my home, I'd moved to the big town, so I, I live in the county seat, uh, 3,000 people. And uh, we had a, a uh, Mr. D's pizza. We had a 7-Eleven. And we had a bowling alley. And everything, of course, closes. And so we spent a lot of time at the bowling alley. Anybody? What do you do in the winter up in the Midwest, you go to the bowling alley, even if you don't bowl, and some of you may still like to bowl, I do bowl, um, but uh, you, know, you, you would have the arcade games, you'd have pool tables, you'd, you didn't know you could deep fry all those foods, but you can, and uh, they're amazingly tasty there, there at the bowling alley, but one day in my small town, one of my, one of my friends got kidnapped, and uh, small town, so it didn't take us long, 10 minutes, uh, we got him back. Uh, but the headlines in the paper the next day said that he could strike again. <laughs> Get your minds out of the gutter. <laughs> Wait a minute, I have one more. What's the third one? Oh, yeah, spare me. Fine. <laughs> All right. That's free. You don't pay for any of that. You pay for the church in Haiti. This is free. All right, so we're in Matthew 2, and I told you last week about Herod. We talked about the star in Bethlehem. We talked about that that was a fulfillment of prophecy from Numbers. Uh, but we talked about the grossness of this man named Herod. We call him, history calls him Herod the Great. Herod the Great is Jewish, ironically, uh, even though he hates Jewish people. He grows up in Rome under Caesar Augustus. And so he knows all about power and greed he understands it's all about me. And the thing is, Caesar Augustus and every, everybody that's ever lived on earth has had problems with Judea. So what's happening in Israel right now is nothing new. Since the beginning of time, there's been a war going on in that region. You're welcome to look it up. But I think Jerusalem has been destroyed and rebuilt something like 17 times. It's, it's, it's really a hard, it's a hard thing to fathom. Um, but Caesar Augustus is just thrilled that he doesn't have to deal with Judea. And so Herod is there. And it's, so Herod is a megalomaniac. He's evil. He's a monster. He's a thief. He's a murderer. Uh, he's a glutton. He's everything. Anything you can imagine, evil, satanic, I promise you that's what Herod is. Nobody likes Herod except maybe the few on the inside trying not to get killed. Uh, but Caesar Augustus is okay with it because he's got Judea under control. So he's learned from Caesar. So he's built a huge port city, the largest port on the Mediterranean Sea called Caesarea, the city of Caesar. Think maybe he was sucking up there. Um, he's got these huge palaces all around Israel, Jordan, uh, scattered out uh, throughout the land. Most of them still have remnants living that are still there. But again, he killed everybody in his path. If he found out his son was, there was word that his son wanted to be king, he'd kill him. 
He found out a wife didn't like something, he'd kill her. He had a neighbor that didn't like something, he'd kill all the neighbors. You're welcome to look this up. Just a marvelous guy. So when you say Herod the Great to Jewish people, they're going to look a little askance at you. They, they would never use that term. He was not great. We use that term because of his building. And then I told you last week that when they, we couldn't find his tomb for 2,000 years. And they just found it about 10 years ago uh, because it was built on the side of one of his palaces. And he built this beautiful monument to himself. But when he died, the Jewish people so hated him that they broke it into such fine pieces, like two inches, one inch. It took 10 years for the archaeologists to put a model back together. And it looked something like that. But they had crushed it and buried it deep on the side of the mountain. And it took, it took 2,000 years to actually find it. So that gives you a little bit of background of who this guy is. So that you'll know that when the story comes about Jesus. And he finds out about Jesus being two years old. And he orders the murder of all the children two years old and younger in the Bethlehem in the, in the region. This is normal behavior for this man. This is normal behavior because this is the kind of human being that he is. So if you'll stand out of respect for God's word, uh, we shall roll through Matthew 2. I think you'll know the basis of the story. Uh, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. He was, he's angry. And all of Jerusalem with him. Again, three camels? I don't think so. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea. This is from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. <clears throat> well, then Herod called back the Magi secretly to him and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for this child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Yeah, worship is a big part of Herod's life. Uh, after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they'd seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. It came to the house because it was two years later. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they came on a northern route across the Silk Road. They're going to go home the southern route. They went home by the other route. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, furious again. <clears throat> and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice heard in Ramah in Bethlehem, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are 
no more. You can be seated. <coughs> All right, so we've got the quote from Micah that he'll be Jesus, when the Messiah comes, he'll be born in Bethlehem. There we go. But it's an obscure passage in Jeremiah where he talks about in the land of Bethlehem, Rachel will weep for her children and they will be no more. Now, I told you last week that you go to uh, the church, uh, the nativity where Jesus was born. He's, there's a cave. They built this big church on top of it. But underneath the church is a cave and that is the spot where Jesus was born. And if you go under that church into a basement, into a, a grotto, you will find a mass grave of just... I don't know, dozens of two-year-old boy, all boys, from the first century. So we know, I mean, that's a pretty good coincidence if it's not historical fact, wouldn't you agree? Uh, we actually have the bones of all of these children. And Rachel, when it says Rachel will be weeping for her children, remember Rachel is the only one of the patriarchs or patriarchs' wives that are not buried in, in Hebron. They're all buried down in southern Israel in a cave, except Rachel. Rachel died in childbirth where? Bethlehem. You're right. Bethlehem. And her tombstone is there to this day. It's a half mile from where those babies were all slaughtered. Rachel's tomb literally looks at the spot. And so when Jeremiah said that Rachel is crying for these children and they are no more. It's all the fulfillment of scripture. But let's move on into what we want to talk about. Herod, Herod is a, um, again, besides all the other things we've talked about, he's paranoid, he's evil, uh, he's a megalomaniac. You name it, he's got it. He is evil on every conceivable level. And he has a fear of everything. He has a fear of babies. Now this is an interesting dynamic. Why would you be afraid of a baby? Because, I don't know, I, don't, I didn't look, I don't know. Herod's in his 40s, 50s, I don't know. I don't know when he died, I don't remember. But, but he's an old man. Even if this baby is going to grow up, and this baby is going to be the king of the Jews, Herod's going to be long gone. But that's irrelevant to a megalomaniac. Who kills children? Does that seem normal to you? Does that not bother you to this day that all those two-year-olds were, were killed? Now, I'm not asking for your thoughts on anything, but how many of you think it's wrong, regardless of whose side it's on, if babies get beheaded in a modern war? How many of you think that's wrong? Yeah, I think we can all agree on that. I don't care whose baby it is, what nationality it is, and yet in our society, the people that are all upset about this are often the same ones that are all pro-abortion. Now, listen, you know I am pro-life to my core. I found this new thing. I'm going to show it to you one of these days, but not today. Um, but they actually figured out how to record, because I've told you this before, that there's a spark of light that happens at conception. They now have recorded that. Don't ask me how technology pulled this off. But at the exact moment of conception, regardless, human, animals... There is a, an aura, a spark, boom. It's, it's like the sun that just opens up in front of you because life is a gift from God. Yes, I understand biology. I understand how male and female come together and make child. But can you really explain life? 
I don't think so. But God can. Now here's the problem in our culture today. So we have people who, look at our cities. We have millions of people just strung out on drugs because they have no hope of life. Life means nothing to them. Suicide. We're desensitized to it because life has no value. Senior people not treated with respect. Why? Because life has no value. And even abortion itself. Now, it's one thing. Again, you know I'm pro-life. But even if you're not, all right, I have a hard time understanding people being passionately excited about it. All right. Maybe maybe you've got a story that's heartrending and you're like, here's what happened and, and it breaks my heart and I've repented and it's you know, okay, it's still sin and you need to repent of it. But but when people come out and cheering it and they're in your face screaming about the wanting to kill children, there's something wrong with that. When the New York Assembly meets and passes a bill and all get together and cheer and celebrate the fact that they can kill a baby now right up until the day of birth and in California after birth. Wow. Have we progressed any? And why so fearful of babies? Well, let's use some of the lines. This baby's going to change my life. I don't want this baby. This baby's going to cost me money. Let me ask you this. How many of you were babies once? Yeah. Well, of course, a child's going to change your life. And look, I'm not here to beat anybody up. If you need forgiveness, go out to our counseling room. We have people that will pray for you. It'll all be private and confidential. If you need to accept Jesus, they're there to help you uh, get right with Jesus. But I don't understand the, the viral attack against life, why anybody would be against life. It doesn't make any sense to me. And I have churches that come up to me, pastors that come up to me and say, our church is pro-choice, as if that is something to be proud of. It's like, and what verse did you get that from? See, the church is not supposed to look like the world. We're supposed to look like the book. And in Psalm 139, it said that, We were created in our mother's womb. God put the pieces together. God is the one who is the author of life. Here's what Jesus said. It's a little out of context, but I'll bring it into context. He says, if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone around his neck. Millstones are about that big around, about that thick, weigh hundreds of pounds. And you've got a trough and the mules pull it around, grind the grain. Jesus said, you'd be better off to have that around your neck and to be thrown into the Atlantic Ocean than to hurt a child in any way. To think that we have, and I can tell you the split, 50% of American Christians are pro-abortion. I don't get it. I don't get it. If you can explain the difference between that position and Herod's position, I'll listen. But I don't think you can explain the difference. But not only did he have a fear of babies, because this baby is going to grow up and it's going to impact him. So he wants everybody to hurt. In fact, let me give you a couple other things about Herod. He... um, He had a whole bunch of other people. Well, this was his plan. He had arrested some of the top people in in his um, kingdom 
And when he died, the order was to kill all of them. Because he said, nobody's going to cry for me, but when I kill all their husbands, they'll all be forced to cry. Another quote is, it's better to be a pig in Herod's kingdom than it is to be his son. Just a few thoughts about this wonderful man. But he also has a fear of kings. When the Magi, these wise men say, this baby is going to be born king. This is when he flips out. This was when he gets furious because I'm the king. Now, none of us would think that way. You see, the sad thing is, a lot of people run around and act like kings and queens. And Jesus said, if you want to be great in my kingdom, hear that phrase? Who's, who's the king? The kingdom of God. If you want to be great in my kingdom, you will be a servant of all. Wow. Wow. So there are no kings, there are no queens, and yet it's not just kings and queens. A lot of people like to anoint themselves. But Herod here is just afraid of his power. He's afraid of losing his position. He's afraid of losing that spot in his life. And that's why he gets so furious that you would even think of calling someone else the king of the Jews. Now, he knows his spot. There's one guy that he's afraid of. Caesar Augustus. Because if there's one thing you learn in a power structure is the one guy you don't go up against. But as long as he stays where he is, he has all the money, all the power, all the threats. He controls literally everything. And he's terrified of having a king. Now, I feel like that happens to a lot of Christians. I'm going to make a statement. Again, I've already warned you. But <clears throat> do we have that? Bring that quote up about. Uh, Satan, would you bring that up, please? That Satan is a believer. I don't know if you know that or not. Satan's a believer. He grew up in the presence of God. He was there when the heavens and the earth were put into place. Satan is a believer. He's not a Christian. And you and I have to know the difference. And there's a whole lot of people, and I'm not picking on anybody individually, I'm just making a statement. There's a lot of people that I know that call themselves Christians that are not Christians, they're believers. Because you believe there's a God, you might believe in Jesus, maybe you've even been baptized, but you're still on the throne. You've not truly surrendered and said, no, I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. He will decide how I live my life. He'll decide my sexual ethics. The word of God will decide my position on these moral issues not me. See, a king makes his own decisions. But here's what Hebrews says. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God. How? Acceptably, with reverence, with awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Wow. So if he's king, he deserves to be obeyed. We don't get to debate it. You can be a believer and not be a Christian. And that's a really scary place to be. But then that leads us to his last problem. And that was he was afraid of God. And it comes out in a weird way. Um, but Herod believes he is God. This is nothing new. So did the Assyrian kings, the Babylonian kings, all the Egyptian pharaohs. A lot of people, however, run around here in Norman Beach and believe they're God. You don't have to have a title 
to believe you're God. You just put yourself in charge of everything. You decide what's right. You decide what's wrong. You even decide what it means to be a Christian. So when the Bible says, if you're going to follow me, you need to be baptized. Some of you say, I want to be baptized. Okay, well, that's a choice, but you can't say, I'm a Christian. Well, I'm supposed to tithe. God gets the first 10% of my income. Well, I'm a believer, but I'm not going to tithe. That's okay. Just be careful with the term. It says you're supposed to serve. It says we're supposed to give. It says we're supposed to forgive. Whatever list you want to go down. See, if you're God, you don't have to be accountable to any of that. And that's how Herod lived his life. Herod is totally self-absorbed about everything. Now, God is a jealous God. Here it is. This is Deuteronomy. We got that. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. There it is again. Moses said that. He's a jealous God. What does that mean? It means he doesn't share his worship. Now, I don't think any, I hope you don't have a totem pole or Ouija boards or horoscopes or anything like that. If you do, get rid of it. But uh, I think for most of us, our idols are different. We live in them. We drive them. We, uh, whatever, go to them. And listen, there's nothing wrong with having a car. There's nothing wrong with a house. There's nothing wrong with a vacation. But if you had to steal from God time that was his, money that was his, service that was his, to get those things, then you're God and he's not, and he's a jealous God. I didn't write that. He did. All right, let me finish with this. If you haven't seen The African Queen, the old, old movie. All right, this is before my dad's time. But how many of you have seen The African Queen? If you haven't, it's an hour and a half. It's cinematic magic, okay? It's, um, it's uh, Bogart and Bacall. Thank you. I got it wrong last night. Somebody sent me a text and said, that's not Hepburn, it's Bacall. That is correct. Um, so the long story short... Um, Humphrey Bogart is, is running up and down this river and he's running rum and drinking most of it and uh, stealing and selling uh, anything he can. He just assumes he's going to die out there on the river and um, Bacall is a missionary. Long story short, they get together. They're going to fall in love if you haven't seen the movie. But uh, they, just, they come up with this plan. They're going to go down the river and they're going to destroy this Nazi ship that is sitting in a lake. And they're going to change World War II. It's a very romantic little movie there. Um, but there is a scene when I was re-watching it a couple of months ago. And I went back and I just kept listening to this quote from Bogart where <clears throat> she says, Are you afraid to die? And Bogart says, oh, I ain't worried, miss. I gave myself up for dead back when we started. And I just kept playing that. Because isn't that what you and I are supposed to have done when we accepted Christ? Galatians 2.20 says, it's now no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I no longer live for myself, but I live for the one who died for me. You're welcome to look that up. See, you and I have to decide, am I going to be a believer or am I going to be a Christian? Because I can tell you this, believers have a lot of phobias, a lot of fears. But as Christians, we don't have to fear anything. So, Father, as we wrap this up, I... I don't know who needed what parts of what. People watching online, literally all over the country and all over the world. Lord, speak to them. 
speak to us here in this room. Whether it's about life, whether it's about kingship, or whether it's about Godship. Lord, we want you to be in charge. But sometimes we take it right back. Sometimes we're happy being a believer rather than a Christian. Lord, give us the courage to live this story boldly and live it to the end. In Jesus' name, amen.